Do you want to do what we do? Literally this, podcasting, editing audio on your own time, making fun little episodes about your favorite topics? Well, we can help you out. Sound Studio 4 is an app for Mac that lets you record music, create sound effects, digitize old records and tapes, or even create your own podcast, like George said. Just don't make it about sound. We're kind of already doing that. And it's pretty okay. <laughs> sound Studio 4 is the latest version of their software. It's been around since 1999, and this current version has bells and whistles to help make whatever audio project you want. You can find Sound Studio 4 in the Mac App Store or at macsoundstudio.com. Ignition sequence start. Five. Everything. Three. Everything. Sounds. Sounds. This is Everything Sounds. I'm Craig Shank. I'm George Drake Jr. And this is Everything Sounds. WOPI is a radio station out of Bristol, Tennessee, that first began broadcasting at 6.30 p.m. on June 15, 1929. The Bristol News Bulletin, the local paper at the time, had its first day as the main headline, taking up the entire front page above the fold. It read, Bristol's new broadcasting station to open today. So like a lot of older radio stations, WOPI didn't have a very specific regimented musical format like what exists on most stations today. There were different types of programming throughout the days like drama, news, variety programs, and local entertainment. But one of WOPI's most popular shows was a country music program called the WOPI Jamboree. And it's fitting because after all, in 1998, Congress recognized Bristol, Tennessee as the birthplace of country music. Between 1929 and the 1980s, the station had its fair share of ups and downs. There were fires and bankruptcies, and over the course of those 50 years, the studio moved between seven different locations. Around the 1990s, the station was moved one final time into the building where it still resides. And that's where Emil Klein of Your U.S. picks up the story for us. Riding, riding, riding. Riding, 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 I'm getting by a car. So I was biking down West State Street in Bristol, Tennessee. It's like half a mile away from the Tennessee-Virginia border. And there's this building just a bit back from the road that totally caught my eye. Is that what I think it is? Oh! Oh my gosh! It was bizarre to say the least. What? I've never seen something so big like that. Okay, what? so I lied. It's not a building. Well, it is a building. But what it really is, is a giant guitar laying on its side. Grand guitar, Joe Morrell's gift shop. It had seen better days. Some of the strings were missing and the paint job seemed a bit rough. I mean, really, it just looked abandoned, like any other American spectacle of yesteryear. It doesn't look like anybody's here. But there was this car parked out front, so I figured somebody must be inside. Car, it's a good sign. Now, from the road, there were two doors. One was in the back, up some stairs, and it was grated and boarded up. That was a no-go. But right under the sound hole of the guitar, there was, you know, a regular door. So like any other dope, I knocked. Wonder if anybody answer. Hello? 
Hello? What's in there? Through the door, I could see signed sepia photos of country musicians, gold records. I mean, this place was a decent recording studio at some time. So I tried knocking again. And again, to no avail. But then I got on Yelp, right? And I find this number, and I call this number, and this number is disconnected. But there was a light on side, and I mean, who pays utility bills without any reason, right? So I figure it's worth another shot. And then I see this small window near the ground. It's graded, but there's a little bit of light coming out. You know, it's the kind that you'd have for a basement. So I get down on my hands and knees, and I look through. There's a lady behind, what? Looks like a broadcasting station with all these CDs. Hey, lady. Hey, hey, lady. Miss, miss, miss. She's she's saying go away. No. Miss. Miss. And sometimes persistence pays off. She's opening up. (laughs) I knew it. Man, what is in this place? What is the story behind this guitar, man? Whoa. Sort of junky guitar. It's huge, though. Wow, I feel like I climbed these strings like ropes to the top, man. This place is like... Hey, what's going on? I'm Emil. So she tells me she only has a second, as she's in between songs on a set. Besides, she says, the museum has been closed for a while. I'm like, what set? What museum? Well, it turns out that she was on air at WOPI, which, since its establishment back in 1929, has gone through like a load of changes. Currently, it's a country and bluegrass station, which broadcasts on the weekends out of a giant guitar. And I don't know when it was instituted or started or anything, but I know their slogan. We don't play opossum, we play bluegrass. I don't know what that means. But she picked up on my interest and invited me to come back in a few days. And when I came back, that's when I heard the real story. Emil, it's a pleasure to meet you. I was thrilled with your eyes the moment I saw you at the door up here at the Grand Guitar. Uh, Last Saturday, I was doing a radio show, and you pecked on my window, and I'm very grateful for it. I do a radio show on a 1,000-watt station. It's been a 1,000 watts since 1929. It's part of our region here in Bristol, Tennessee, Virginia's cultural heritage, and we keep it going on Saturdays and Sundays with gospel, bluegrass, and old-time country music. And her name? Well, that depends on when you catch her. My name on the radio is the Country Lady. My name in life is Nana, and I'm Perry. Perry like Perry Mason. Perry Addison. Let's stick with Perry. So Perry tells me that when she was younger, people referred to her as Jackie Bovier Kennedy because she talked with a soft southern whisper. But as you can tell, that's all changed. She married an Appalachian and says folks out here aren't the whispering type. They're louder. Kind of... Boisterous, aggressive, just gregarian kind of people. There's a lot of laughter. And if you weren't loud, you got left out. Mm. So, and now I'm hearing impaired. So, and I'm without one hearing aid today. So I'm louder than usual today. Perry takes her coffee light in the morning. And in the evening, she takes it dark so she can keep awake at concerts. Sometimes, she even puts a splash of Southern Comfort. To kick my spirits up so I can enjoy the music. Anyhow, back to the building. It stands, or lays, alongside Highway 58. Or as it's more commonly known, Interstate 81. But the locals, well, they call it 
the crooked road. The moniker was given for tourism, but literally, it is the road of Appalachian music. It's where everybody would meet for 130 years on front porches, underneath the oak tree, at the general store, in their leisure time to gather and do their music. So that's it? Some guitar with a radio station inside? That couldn't be the only interesting thing about this building. I mean, come on, a building's kind of like a story. It starts with a character, some schmuck with an idea, and it builds from there. Well, I've got a schmuck for you. His name's Joe. Joe Morell is a typical Appalachian. I knew him well the last 10 years of his life. Did not know him before that other than buying from his music store. Joe was a modest fellow, the quiet and private type. And though he made a name for himself, his heart remained tied to his homeland. I was at work one day and a uh, truck, service truck pulled up and said, where do I deliver these appliances? And I said, what appliances? He said, well, he said, give them Joe Morrell. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't know. We'll call him and find out. A house had burned. Family had lost their home. He was giving them anonymously a start of new appliances, but he wanted no one to know it. He was very quiet and very dignified and, uh, and a kind, generous man. That's just the kind of guy that Joe was. But he was a local farm boy down on the uh, Holston River, uh, raised in the area. He loved music. He said that seeing Gene Autry cowboy movies made him want to be one, but also music was in his family. We say here in Appalachia that it's your DNA. If you're 9, 10, 11, 12, 13th generation, you can sing, you can play. It's just in your being. Most folks in the region had to do some farming to eat, but Joe's family, well, they made their living at agribusiness. The area around their farm overlooked the Holston River, and the region itself was spotted with lakes, which were drained in the wintertime for flood control. Joe was born in the 1930s, and back then, people went to Bristol for a good night out, which included, most importantly, live music. So Saturdays, it was booming, with the, the Carter family coming to town, uh, all these other artists coming to town for music and shopping and everyone getting their supplies. It was a hub. And then as he matured into his teens and young adulthood, it was a music mecca for what we now call bluegrass, but was really country music of the day, acoustic music. That was the storytelling music. And he was heart and soul part of that. In the 1950s, Joe formed a group called Curly King and the Tennessee Hilltoppers. It was a foursome a mandolin, a lap steel, an upright bass, and Joe as Curly King on the acoustic guitar. Locally, the band was pretty famous. They played a bunch of shows around the area, and they even had their own radio show called Farm and Funtime Radio Program. Well, thank you, Bill, and a great big howdy to all the folks who are with us here on Farm and Fun today. We're mighty glad to be back, and all the boys are just a raring to pick and sing, so without too much talking, let's have a little more music. Here's one of the old-timers' friends we'd like to do. Chubby Collier and myself getting together make a little duet number out of it. It's one we have lots of requests for these days, and we hope you'll enjoy it entitled Don't Forget Me. Joe was also part of a hoodnanny group. The term hootenanny comes from the Scottish word meaning celebration or party. And the music is just that. I mean, it's played on wash tubs and tin cans. Perry referred to it as an old-timey string comedy. Joe traveled all around the Northeast playing his hootenanny music, 
Well, when he came back home, he continued with pedal steel, and he actually invented some of the most popular retail uh, steel guitars, the Morel guitar today. He sold hundreds of thousands of them across the United States through his uh, Morel Music Wholesale Company. And being a musician in Appalachians wasn't cheap. If you needed anything, say picks, accessories, instruments, whatever, it meant that you needed to order from a catalog and pay for shipping, or you needed to fill up the tank and do a two or three hour drive into the big city. And I guess Joe, he's an odd sort, because in that dilemma, he saw an opportunity. So Joe opened a music store, and he opened it with the idea of bringing the best accessories and instruments to the musician at a value price. 53 years later, that original Morel shop is still going strong. In his lifetime, he started a lot of Morel music stores all around the five-state area by financing zero interest, young men and women to get off the floor for business. They had to use his name for amount of time. Some of them kept it, some of them dropped it. But he did spread retail music stores over five states in his lifetime. Memories of you, I'll always cherish his local music shop was successful. The Morel Lap Steel kept selling at a steady rate, and his wholesale business was doing well. He was finally able to support his family. But all of the years of business were paralleled with his love of the music. Joe never stopped performing, and he was still reasonably well-known in the surrounding states. In Nashville, he had offers to play at the Grand Old Opry with different artists. But Joe never set foot on that stage. But he loved the region and was making a good living, so he declined. Okay, so he set foot on that stage once. But it was just that once. Joe was never a performer other than once a guest on the Grand Ole Opry. But he's the only person that I've ever known in the industry who wasn't a performer or a promoter, just a private citizen, who had an unquestioned pass to the back door of the Grand Ole Opry. He knew everybody in the industry, and he used those connections to promote Bristol and to bring talent to this part of the country, Mm. besides just enjoying it. At this point in the story, it was the 1980s, and Joe was into his 50s. Joe had helped the Bristol music sound develop, and he had watched as it shaped the country music scene. But as some little blip on the map in the Appalachians, Bristol's a pretty small town, you know. It seemed unlikely that it was going to attract the attention that its history deserved. And like the origin of so many things, it was likely to be forgotten. So Joe decided to make something that couldn't be ignored. A symbol of their history, a Mount Rushmore of twang. A 30-foot-tall, 80-foot-long replica to scale of a Martin D28 guitar. Nobody in this part of the country in the early 80s was actually doing anything to tell the region's story. So when Joe came up with the concept of this, it served personal needs. A retail music store, a display area for his private collection of exotic, unusual, and weird music instruments, most of them string, but also it gave him an opportunity to share with the traveler when they stopped out of curiosity about the history of the region. The building was completed in 1985, and the Grand Guitar, the world's largest guitar-shaped museum, opened. Eventually, the building took on a new tenant, W.O.P.I., and in the 1990s, the station changed its hands for the sixth time to Joe Morrell, Incorporated. As the century drew to a close, Joe's health began to decline. And without another powerhouse to take reins, the Grand Guitar closed its doors. 
By 2008, Joad sold the radio station and withdrawn himself completely from the music industry. But he was just removing clutter to make way for his last hurrah. To see the grand guitar, Bristol's beacon, live again. So that summer, uh, he actually made a commitment to restore it. And uh, his daughter had been a, a resident of QS, Florida for close to 20 years, I think. She'd been a successful realtor developer, and she had decided to semi-retire and come and live six months a year here and six months a year in Florida. Both of her parents were aging, and she wanted to be near them more. So he literally, the week she came home for her permanent new semi-annual residence, he brought her into the grand guitar, which she grew up with, of course, and explained to her all the things he wanted, what construction, what display cases, what kind of concept for new interior updated, more appealing aesthetics, the exterior. Perry remembers that week. She remembers seeing Joe with an excitement that she hadn't seen in years. She remembers how, despite his failing kidneys, he seemed even more lively. She remembers that he seemed stronger and healthier than she'd seen him in months. She remembers Joe. He was happy. I remember looking up from my desk, which faced the steps, and seeing him come down and thought, oh, how energized he is. Oh, Anita's being home has been a shot in the arm to him, you know. The plans were in motion. The grand guitar would once again live to its name. And he went, she took him home at four o'clock and went in his home. And at 15 after five, his housekeeper came to fix his supper and found him dead. The very last moments of his life were spent planning the future of his proudest achievement. Joe's children, Anita and Curtis, decided that though the building didn't serve a purpose for them, it still served a purpose for the community. Anita spent the last five years turning the Grand Guitar into a non-profit and fundraising for it. Her work's paid off. The Grand Guitar will soon be receiving its first large grant, as well as certification as a 501c3 nonprofit. So we hope again, and with Anita's uh, dedication and perseverance, now it's been five years, that it will, within hopefully less than five years, be restored and enhanced and be a beacon of communication, like all these stories, to people of interest that come by. Even if the museum is closed, and the instruments are dusty, and the grand guitar's facade has seen better days, the music of the Appalachians rings out between these mountains. It's still resonating and, and it's still reaching people so much that they come up here, touch it, take their photograph in front of it, call people on the phone and say, look where I'm at, you know, with the new cell phones, iPods and all that. Look where I'm at. Can you believe this, you know? And what on earth is it? And oh, it's awesome. Even though it needs some fresh paint, it's still awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this guitar is still playing. It is. The guitar is still resonating with music inside and outside. I'm Emil Klein. You can learn more about Joe Morrell, WOPI, The Grand Guitar, and The Crooked Road at our website, everythingsounds.org. And there you can also find some pictures from in and around the Grand Guitar that Emil took 
as well as a bunch of archival pictures from WOPI. Emil's got a wonderful project of his own called Your US. That's read either as Your US or You Are Us. It's up to you. He rides around all around the country on his bike, gathering profiles of Americans and sharing their stories with the world. Luckily, he biked by the Grand Guitar and knocked on a few doors for us. George and I can't really thank him enough for his help with this episode. Everything Sounds is most likely on whatever social media platform you like most. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, SoundCloud, and of course many others, and connect with us on them as well. We love having an interaction with our listeners. Everything Sounds is a part of the Mule Radio Syndicate. We're heard alongside shows like The Broad Experience, Evening Edition, and Decode DC. You can find out more about Mule at muleradio.net. Today's episode was sponsored by Sound Studio 4 by Felt Tip Inc. Sound Studio 4 for Mac lets you record audio, create podcasts, digitize tapes and records, and create all types of sound effects for your own projects. You can find information on all of these features at macsoundstudio.com or in the Mac App Store. Again, that's Sound Studio 4 for Mac. And a special thanks today to Barbara Sayer and Dick Cole at WCQS Western North Carolina Public Radio for allowing a meal to record in their studio. Also thanks to Michael Stahn for providing the banjo music in the show. Until next time, I'm Craig Shank. And I'm George Drake Jr. Thanks for listening to Everything Sounds.